Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers. You can learn more about me at livetoo110.com and check out my detox program, mineralpower.com, where I relieve you. I give you freedom from brain fog and fatigue. Today, we have a very interesting podcast. Dr. Bruce, who is a sleep psychiatrist, is, uh, I'm sorry, sleep psychologist, is going to be talking on the program about sleep. He was the host of the phenomenally successful Sleep Success Summit. You can check it out at sleepsuccesssummit.com. And he's going to be talking about some underlying root causes of why you're not sleeping, the problems with sleep medication, and some supplements you can take to facilitate sleep. Very, very interesting discussion. We're also going to talk about his new book, The Power of When. You can check that out, thepowerofwhen.com. And we're going to be discussing the concept of chronotypes that he explores in the book and the 400 studies that support that. And when is the best time to do many activities throughout your day? to having sex, the best time to have sex, the best time to uh, pursue creative endeavors, the best time to ask your boss for a raise. Really, really interesting talk that we had on the podcast today. Please keep in mind that this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. The Live to 110 podcast is solely informational in nature and for entertainment purposes only, so please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in anything that we suggest today on the podcast. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Bruce, PhD. He is a clinical psychologist with a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. He was one of the youngest people to have passed the board at age 31 and with a specialty in sleep disorders is one of only 136 psychologists in the world with his credentials and distinction. Dr. Bruce is on the clinical advisory board of the Dr. Oz Show and is a regular contributor to the show 30 plus times. Dr. Bruce is the author of the soon to be published September 2016, The Power of When, a groundbreaking biohacking book proving that there is a perfect time to do everything based on your hidden biological chronotype. Dr. Bruce gives the reader the exact perfect time to have sex, to run, run a mile, eat a cheeseburger, ask your boss for a raise, and so much more. Dr. Bruce was recently asked by the National Sleep Foundation to be the inaugural sleep technology ambassador at Health 2.0, a cutting-edge health technology conference. Dr. Bruce has supplied his expertise with both consulting and as a sleep educator spokesperson to brands such as Advil PM, Breathe Right, Crown Plaza Hotels, Dong Energy from Denmark, Merck, and many, many more. For over 14 years, Dr. Bruce has served as the sleep expert for WebMD. Dr. Bruce also writes the Insomnia blog and can be found regularly on the Huffington Post, Psychology Today, ShareCare, and the Oz blog. Dr. Bruce has provided editorial services for numerous medical and psychology peer-reviewed journals and has given hundreds of presentations to professionals and the general public. 
He has published original research and worked on grant-funded projects and clinical trials. Among his numerous national media appearances, Dr. Bruce has been interviewed on CNN, Oprah, The View, Anderson Cooper, Rachel Ray, Fox and Friends, The Doctors, Joey Bear, The CBS Early Show, The Today Show, and Kelly and Michael. He's an expert resource for most major publications, doing more than 100 interviews per year. He also appears regularly on Dr. Oz and Sirius XM Radio. Dr. Bruce has been in private practice for 16 years and recently relocated his practice to Los Angeles. Dr. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you're known as the sleep doctor, but can you tell the listeners a bit about yourself and your background? Sure, of course, happy to do so. So um, I have a PhD in clinical psychology and I'm board certified in clinical sleep disorders. So I actually took a medical specialty board without going to medical school. And when I passed, they said, holy cow, I guess you're a sleep doctor now. Um, There's about 160 of us that have ever done that. And I've been an actively practicing sleep specialist for the last 16 years. So I treat people with apnea, narcolepsy, insomnia, periodic limb movement, sleepwalking, sleep talking, kids, seniors, you name it. I've I've had them in my practice and and it's been a lot of fun. It's it's definitely been uh, an interesting ride to say the least. And that is so important because I watched my own father suffer from sleep apnea undiagnosed for so many Mm -hmm. years and it just destroyed his heart and his brain and kills all so many brain cells and he finally got a CPAP machine. Good. How's he doing? No, well, he passed away, unfortunately. Uh, no, sorry. but yeah, he, um, you know, he actually had some health issues and and whatnot. So he he passed, but I think definitely his lack of sleep for so many years really did him in. I mean, it really contributed to his health issues. It's so interesting because people kind of take sleep for granted, you know, and people are like, oh, you know, I hear this all the time. Oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. Well, that might happen a lot sooner <laughs> than you were thinking, depending upon you know how deprived of sleep you are. A lot of people don't even understand, but sleep affects every organ system, every disease state. There literally isn't anything you can do that isn't affected by both the quantity and the quality of your sleep. You know, a lot of people oftentimes they're talking about how many hours do I get or how many minutes do I have, but we also have to think about the quality aspect of that as well, because that can be really important. Yeah, and it's uh, sleep affects everything. I mean, if you're not sleeping well, you can't detox. If you're not sleeping well, you just affects everything, like you said. And you actually hosted the Sleep Summit that happened recently, and people can still engage with that. They can still purchase it if they want. Tell us where they can find that that summit and what it's all about. Sure. So it's called the Sleep Success Summit, and you can go to sleepsuccesssummit.com, and it's certainly available for purchase. It was fantastic. We had 35 speakers of every kind of area you could possibly imagine. I had pediatricians. I had the NASA sleep specialist, the guy who takes care of all the astronauts. I had Ariana Huffington come on and talk. I had functional medicine experts, Chinese medicine experts. We had biohackers. We had people who were interested in meditation and sleep, just whatever they could find that we that had anything to do with sleep, endocrinology, thyroid, you name it. And we had a lot of people talking about sleep. And it was really pretty fascinating because we we decided not to just go with conventional. It wasn't just about, you know, Western medicine and sleep apnea, right? You know, which is what a lot of the information is out there. It was really about anything that you could think of that has to do with holistic health and sleep. 
Yes. Yeah, because a lot of people, when they go to their physician, they get a prescription medication for sleep. Tell us how that can backfire. Well, in about a zillion different ways, actually. Um, so I'm not a huge proponent of pharmaceuticals to help with sleep. I, I would tell you that 90% of people out there don't need a pill to make them sleep. However, that being said, there are certain situations where pharmaceuticals can actually be appropriate. Um, if I've got a patient who's got major depression or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, those are situations where a medication to help them sleep actually could be appropriate. But for the vast majority of people, you don't actually have to have a pill to help you sleep. Now, I will also say that there are some situations where people they just need, I just need to stabilize them. You know, I need to get them to a spot where they're sleeping okay, and then I can slowly wean them off, either whether it's a supplement, a nutraceutical, or even a pharmaceutical. Now, as a PhD, I don't prescribe medication, so I don't have any skin in that game at all. Um, I know about them all, and I've worked with most of them. Um, and the biggest problem that we see is that there are certain categories of pharmaceuticals that are super addictive. Um, those are called the benzodiazepines. So anything with the letters PAM on the back of it, that's not, that's probably not the thing that you really want to be on. These are things, um, those are the uh, generic names. Trade names are things like Valium, Xanax, uh, Restoril, things like that. While they can be very, very effective for helping reduce anxiety and even helping people fall asleep, you're, you have two problems then. You have a sleep problem and you have a pill problem. And you know you have to get comfortable with the idea of being on a medication for an extended period of time. And again, my philosophy is most people don't need that. Um, that's not necessary for most people. We also now know that there are some of these medications in a different category called non-benzodiazepine hypnotics. Ambien, Lunesta fall into that category. We know that for those uh, folks, um, there are some kind of weird side effects. People sleep eating, sleep driving, um, saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Like you would be pretty surprised at some of the things that people have done, have no recollection whatsoever. There was, a, um, I saw a great um, piece uh, with Steve Martin, you know, the comedian? Yes. And uh, he was being interviewed and uh, he's a poker player. And he said that he took uh, Ambien one night and when he woke up the next morning, when he went to his um, online poker site, he had won like $1,500, right? <laughs> so he was kind of excited, but kind of scared at the same time. Yeah, I had a friend of mine that was taking Ambien and she she was gaining weight. She gained about 10 pounds over a month and she realized that she was she was eating everything in her refrigerator. She'd wake up and eat and would not, uh, wouldn't remember. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it can be kind of scary, you know, because like I had a patient who walked in and decided to fry up some eggs. Well, they had an open flame with a, I mean, like lots of bad stuff can go on when you're under those those medications influence. You know, people got to respect the drug and know what they're on, what kind of the parameters are, the rules are and make sure that there's somebody out there who's kind of keeping an eye on them because it can it can get dangerous. Yeah, and it's problematic too because you don't actually get a restful sleep. You don't get a restorative sleep when you're on this medication. And yeah, your mm -hmm. eyes are closed. Right. But you're not. They're not getting this healthful restorative sleep. Can you explain that? Yeah, I can. So depending upon the medication, each of the medications has different effects on what we call sleep architecture. So that's how much stage one, stage two, stage three, four, and stage REM you get. Those benzodiazepines, the first group of medications I was talking about, they knock out a good bit 
of your stage three, four, which is your physically restorative sleep. Um, they can even knock out some REM sleep. Some of them give you too much and some of them can give you not enough. It varies from drug to drug. Um, and that can be dangerous as well because REM sleep is your mentally restorative sleep. So you want to get a bunch of both. You don't want any medication that could potentially block those out. When you look at the non-benzodiazepine hypnotics, the Ambien's and the Lunestas of the world, their claim to fame is that they don't change your sleep architecture, that whatever you had before is roughly the same that what you're going to get then. But let's take a look at that. The sleep that you had before was probably pretty crappy. Um, it probably wasn't great sleep to begin with. So people shouldn't think that they're getting the, a natural sleep. They're not getting an almost, I guess the best word would be a nutritious sleep, right? It's like having empty calories. Um, that I would consider that to be like empty sleep is what you're dealing with a lot of times on those medications. What are your favorite supplements to enhance sleep? So again, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of putting stuff in to make people sleep. However, there are some instances where it does make sense. Um, melatonin actually can be something that can be quite helpful for some people. But the thing for people to remember is melatonin is a sleep regulator, not a sleep initiator. So all up to now, all the things that we've been talking about make you feel sleepy and make you want to fall asleep. It turns out that there are two distinct systems in the brain for sleep. One is a sleep drive, kind of like hunger, right? So I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I eat something and that hunger dissipates. That's your sleep drive. And that's what all of the drugs we've been talking about so far affect. They increase that sleep drive. The second one is your circadian rhythm or that biological clock that tells you when to eat, when to sleep, when to do those things. That's what melatonin can have an effect on. So it turns out that when you reach age about 55, your melatonin actually starts to decrease in terms of levels of production. So it may make sense for people to have a melatonin supplement once we start to see melatonin starting to fall off. Or let's say you travel to Europe or travel across the US or you know go through multiple time zones. If you've got jet lag, melatonin actually works really good because it can kind of snap your clock back to sort of where it needs to be. So melatonin can be used in, in some good situations for sure. A couple of caveats to, to, for people to think through with melatonin. Number one, it's not a sleeping pill and it shouldn't be taken like one. It takes 90 minutes for plasma concentration levels to reach a point where it can actually be effective. So if you're gonna take melatonin, you should take it 90 minutes before bed. Also, 95% of it is sold in an overdosage format. Most people don't know that. Um, the appropriate dose would be between a half and one milligram for the average adult. Um, but I see them in three, five, 10 milligrams. Um, also, most people don't know, but melatonin is by prescription only in Europe. And at very high doses, it's actually a contraceptive. Um, oh, wow. Right, and so, because it, it messes with a woman's hormonal distribution and things like that. And so I really can't emphasize enough, do not give melatonin to children. That is a bad idea. I can't think of anything worse than introducing a contraceptive into a young female developing body. Like, we just don't know what that's going to do. I'm not saying it's bad, I'm saying I don't know, and I wouldn't give it to my daughter, that's yeah. for sure. Okay, great. Thank you so much for clarifying that because there's there's a lot of confusion around sleep medications and sleep supplements and a lot of little distinctions you have to make. Yeah, one and a couple of things that are easy, good stuff that people can use out there. So one of them is magnesium. Um, we know there's a lot of good data looking at magnesium as a calming uh, mineral and it can be very helpful. You know, for people who tell me that, oh, I can't turn off my brain when I get in bed, magnesium actually turns out to be a really good thing that people can consider taking. That can be quite helpful. Um, I, I would definitely recommend magnesium. Um, if you're looking on the herbal side of things, the, the, the herbs that have the most data behind them 
would be valerian. And it's actually a combination of valerian and hops together. So like the hops that you would find in beer. No, that does not mean pop a valerian and drink a beer. <laughs> I always ask that. No, it does not. <laughs> just to um, clarify. Just to clarify. But the, the, those two in combination with one another can actually be pretty effective from it, reducing anxiety and kind of helping get you there. Um, I, I would say that um, 5-HTP has got some good data behind it as well. Um, again, as an initiator or a relaxant to kind of get you there. The truth is, is most people who are having problems sleeping, it's an anxiety issue or it's a depression issue. It's not really a sleep issue. And so if you can figure out ways to get yourself there without a supplement or without that, then you know I would consider going for it. But uh, in the 16 years that I've been practicing talking to people with insomnia, because that happens to be my specialty, 75% of people show up to me on drug or supplement, 75% easily. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not judging here. It doesn't bother me at all. My goal is to get you either off a pharmaceutical or to the lowest effective dose or to use supplements appropriately because I still believe that nobody's sleeper is broken. You know, that switch in your head will work no matter who you are. We just have to remind you on how to use it. Yeah, and so that's why I love the Sleep Success Summit because you get down to the underlying root cause of why people aren't sleeping and so many people have issues with sleep. This summit is so needed. Can you tell us again where the listeners can find it and go get more information? So if you go to sleepsuccesssummit.com, um, the page is up. You can actually order the lectures. And, and I had some amazing speakers. Um, I mean, it was kind of like the who's who of, you know, the, the holistic world. Um, we had, you know, Amy Myers, Dan Kalish, Abel James. We had, um, like I said, the NASA sleep doctor, Ariana Huffington. We had pediatricians talking about children's sleep. We even had grief specialists who were talking about how sleep can be affected during the grieving process. We had PTSD specialists who were talking about trauma and how trauma can affect sleep. Like it, I, I, I learned a ton mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm a sleep doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a new book com coming out called The Power of When. Can you tell us about your, a little about your book? Sure. I'd be happy to. So, you know, most self-help books tell you what to do or they tell you how to do it. They don't tell you when to do it. So I, I, I kind of stumbled upon this as an idea with my patients. So as I said, I've been practicing for a while, specifically with insomnia folks, and they would come in and they would say, Dr. Bruce, it's not that I can't fall asleep or I can't stay asleep. It's like I'm sleeping at the wrong time. Like if I could just go to sleep at midnight and wake up, you know, at 738 o'clock, my life would be fantastic, but you know, my boss wants me at work by eight o'clock or my kids want me up by a certain time or, or, you know, my social world is not kind of working well with what would be my normal sleep schedule. And so I decided, cause I was using techniques that I normally use things like sleep restriction and stimulus control and cognitive behavioral therapy, non pharmaceutical, non supplemental ways to help people with sleep. And it wasn't working. Mm. And so I said, well, what would happen if we changed your schedule? And they're like, yeah, good luck with that. So what I did was I said, give me your boss's number. So I called the boss or I called the family member and I said, I just want to run an experiment for like two weeks where I get this individual and they can go to bed later and they can sleep later and nobody's going to bother them whatsoever. And we actually got to run the experiment with a couple of people and they were significantly more productive at work. They were in much better moods in the morning. Um, everybody was getting along with them much, much better. And I was like, okay, 
So let's take a look at this a little bit deeper. And so I started to go into the literature. I found over 400 studies looking at what we call chronotypes. So people out there may not have heard the word of chronotype before, but you've probably heard of like an early bird or a night owl. Mm -hmm. So those are actually chronotypes. Turns out there's not just two, there's actually four. Um, and so what I did was, and most of the measurement tools only identified if you were an early bird or a night owl. So I said, all right, I'm gonna create a tool that people can take a quiz, because um, people like to take quizzes, and um, let's figure out what your chronotype is. So for anybody out there who's listening, if you go to thepowerofwhenquiz.com, it's free, just go in, take the quiz, and you'll learn what one of your four chronotypes are. So I've already mentioned two, but let me kind of give you the gamut of what all four of them are. So the early bird is actually what I call a lion. Um, I renamed the archetypes because I'm not a bird, I'm a mammal, and you know, it's like I wanted to choose mammals that represented kind of what those people really were. So lions are, the, are my early birds, are my early morning people. These are like my entrepreneurs, my go-getters, um, but they're very linear in their thinking. My lions go from A to B to C. They're not my intuitives, they're not my idea starters or visionaries, they're the people, they're like the COO of a company. They can get stuff done and they can manage people really well. In between are my bears. Um, bears are some of the best ones out there. These are the glue for society. These are the fun people who get work done, but also like to have a good time. They're the ones who are, you know, hanging out by the keg at the party, but they're also the ones who are having great conversations. They actually follow a sleep schedule where they kind of get up, you know, around 6.30, 7 o'clock, and then they're going to bed around 10.30, 11 o'clock. So most of the normal pattern, roughly 55% of people out there are, are bears. My night owls, I call them wolves. Um, these are, I happen to be a wolf. Um, these are my creative, uh, slightly introverted, that aspect isn't big for me. Um, and uh, these are people who are like really interesting, like these are the people who get involved in advertising or are very artistic. So they're reading, uh, I'm sorry, they're authors, they're musicians, they're actors, they're, the, they're those people who've kind of got that gift to them. Um, and then there are those patients of mine that would wander through the door um, who are my type A personalities who are so obsessive compulsive they can't seem to get a whole lot done. Um, those are my dolphins. They're super intelligent people, but once we could get them into a sleep schedule, things would work out better. So once you take the quiz, you fall into one of these four archetypes. And then from there, I actually know what your hormonal distribution is for a 24-hour cycle. So then what I said was, what if I matched your hormones to 50 different daytime activities and figured out what was the best time for you to do things? And it worked. It was crazy. So I can tell people the best time to have sex, run a mile, eat a cheeseburger, ask your boss for a raise, all based on their chronotype and their hormone distribution. <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> you're wolf, and I'm sure yeah. um, all your type A's love that, so they can schedule schedule sex and schedule everything. They do. In. <laughs> it's a lot of fun for them. They definitely enjoy it. And why did you get involved with this topic? Well, again, it was because my patients um, came to me, and and I found my techniques were not effective, and. I just couldn't live with that. I, I had to figure out what was kind of going on with them. And so it, it was kind of a journey for me as well, was learning from my patients and starting to really understand this literature. And, and quite frankly, the literature hadn't really reached a critical mass until fairly recently. I mean, circadian rhythm research has been going on only really heavily for the last like 15 years. And so we're really starting to see a lot of publications come out in the sleep world about what are circadian rhythms and what's the best time for people to be doing things. 
And so how can you match a, a person's chronotype to so many activities? So what we did was we looked at the hormone, like what hormones do you need for each activity? So let's take sex because it's the one that everybody wants to talk about first, yeah. <laughs> right? So I can't think of a worse time to have sex than at night. And here's why. What are the hormones that you need? Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, adrenaline, um, and you would uh, need to all be at high levels, maybe even some cortisol. And at a low level, again, for sex, you'd want melatonin to be down. So what happens at night? Melatonin is up and you have a reduction in testosterone, progesterone, estrogen, cortisol, and adrenaline. It's the worst possible time to actually have sex is in the evenings, especially the later evenings, which is when most people do. There was a great study that looked at um, propensity for sex and what they found was it really had more to do with schedule than it did desire, right? And so what happened was is you were finally in bed, you weren't working, nobody was driving you crazy, and so your bed partner said, hey, you interested? And you said, ah, fine. And so that's kind of how it all <laughs> goes, right? It, you know, it wasn't necessary, and I'm not saying that's for all types of sex, obviously, but you know, the passion and the desire and the things that allow for that level of communication to occur on a different level aren't necessarily there late, late, late in the evenings. Um, and so what I did was I actually created a matrix because what if you're a wolf, but your bed partner's a lion, right? Like that, that could be a problem. Um, and a lot of times it is. And so I actually created this matrix where you can look where your chronotype is and then you can look at your partner's chronotype and it actually gives you two different times, a morning time and an early evening time when you will find that your desire is, is higher um, and that you will receive something different from the sexual experience that you have. That is so interesting. <laughs> it's it, it's so funny because it's you know people are always interested in the sex question. Um, also the you know when should I ask my boss for a raise question. That's a good one. Um, we can always talk about that. But it's what's fascinating is is that our bodies have these chrono rhythms, and we're not we haven't unlocked them. Like I keep telling people like you got to unlock your clock, you know because once you know where your biorhythm is boy, there's a lot of cool things that you can do. And you know, some people tell me that they kind of know already. Like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but some of my patients will tell me, oh, you know what, I'm a writer and I just know that I write better between these hours. Like between, you know, three and five is the time when I'm most creative. And when I really have to edit my work, I'm actually better doing that in the morning. Well, that actually would be very consistent with your hormonal distribution for things like cortisol, um, and a couple of different hormones that could be affecting your ability to do those things. So it's, it's pretty interesting when you start to kind of match it all up. And now, is it 100%? No, of course not, because I, I wish I could do something that was 100%, but it's pretty rare in nature to be able to do that. But I would tell you that it works a lot, and gosh, my patients are like, freaking out. They're like, this is really cool. Yeah. I mean, naturally, you know, people have a lot of issues with their hormones and, chem mm -hmm. you know, hormone disrupting chemicals and absolutely you know, menopause and all kinds, of, all kinds of things that will mm -hmm. disrupt their chemicals or, so of course, or disrupt their hormones. Right. So of course there's going to be variants, individual variants. Yeah. And sure. so you mentioned the, when is the best time to ask your boss for a raise? That's pretty specific and interesting. <laughs> so it's kind of cool, right? Okay. So what you, so there's a couple of different rhythms that you want to think through, not just hormonal rhythms, but just what I call, uh, what are circadian rhythms. And so one of the first ones is positive mood. You want to catch your boss when they're in a good mood, right? Because if they're stressed and 
you know, life is not working out the way they want it to be, asking them for a raise is probably not going to go over too well. There have been several different studies to look at positivity in terms of mood. And now these are not all just 24-hour cycles, but these are actually week-long cycles. So it turns out that your boss gets in a better mood as the week progresses. Um, the closer to Friday that you can get, the better your boss is going to be in a good mood. Number one, because they don't have a bunch of stuff that's sitting on their plate, hopefully, that they have to do still. Um, and um, hopefully they've gotten accomplished the different tasks that needed to be accomplished so that they can, you know, be a little bit more le less stressed. And then number three is they're right butting up against the weekend. And so they're looking forward to some social event or spending time with family and friends and things like that. So Friday turns out to be the most positive day in the work week. Then as you go through the day, the closer you get to quitting time, the more positive people get. So going later in the day, like after lunch, is actually a great time to hit your boss up um, to talk to him about whether or not you should get a raise. Now, one thing that's also good to know, by the way, is your boss's chronotype, right? And, <laughs> and let me tell you how you can figure it out. You don't have to have them take the quiz, although if they want to, I'm actually starting to work with companies now where the co company-wide, they're all taking the quiz and we're actually figuring out best times for creative meetings versus analytic meetings. Mm -hmm. We're figuring out like who should be coming in later and who should be coming in earlier and we're finding productivity levels are just jacking through the roof. Um, easy way to tell what your boss's chronotype is is what time do they get to the office? right? If your boss is one of those people that's there at 7.30, they're a lion. There's no question in my mind. Um, and they're, you know, they're the operator. They're getting stuff done. So you're going to want to hit them right after lunch around the 2.30, 3 o'clock range. The reason that's also good for you is we want to look at your chronotype and you want to look at when are you the most cognitively on board, when are you the most perceptive, and when are you going to be able to present yourself in the most favorable light? So where's your confidence level, right? So we're looking at two different factors, my boss, where they are in their whole chrono rhythm, as well as my confidence and ability to be able to turn to people and say, hey, let me tell you why I'm so important for this company and why I'm thinking that I should get a raise. So if you look in the book, it actually delineates those times. And I actually created another matrix because anytime you have communication between two people, there's the possibility that there could be two different chronotypes and we want to kind of try to nail that in. So for if your boss is a lion, remember an early morning person, you're going to want to hit him around 2.30, 3 o'clock. But if you're a wolf, like a night person, you're actually going to be better off hitting them later. But you don't want to go too late because asking your boss on Friday night for a raise is probably not going to work out very well. So I would say you wouldn't want to go past about 3.30, 4 o'clock. So it's kind of a tight window there for you. Um, if you're a lion along with your boss, you can actually go out to lunch with them and hit them up right then and there. It's a more casual scenario. You're going to be confident. You're going to have a little bit of blood sugar increase because you're adding some um, protein, carbohydrates, and fats to you, which will actually give you energy, which then gives you confidence. You're also hitting them at a time when they're filling up their tank, right? You want to make sure you catch people with the full stomach because people are always happier when they have a full stomach. So you start to line all these factors up and it actually becomes pretty interesting. And you also created a, a matrix for the best time to go for a run. I uh, did. Correct. That's really interesting when the best time to exercise is because um, for me personally, I find the best times in the morning and I seem to get, uh, you know, be the most productive with my workout. Um, but other people, they like to do it, you know, in the afternoon and, and in the evening. And I think that's crazy. So what is the deal with that? So it depends on the type of exercise, it turns out. So uh, in my chapters, I actually delineate um, like a cardio or a run 
versus yoga stretching versus playing a team sport versus training for strength. So there's actually three or four rather different kind of categories of exercise. I'm a runner and I do a lot of cardio. So let's talk about cardio because I know a lot of people out there do that as well. So one of the first things you want to, again, is know your own chronotype. If you're a lion, right, an early morning person, believe it or not, I might ask you not to exercise in the morning. And you're thinking, Michael, wait a second. You're telling me I'm a lion. You're telling me my I'm a morning person. Why the heck wouldn't I exercise in the morning? Because you can use that time to be super valuable and productive in other areas of your life, right? So planning out your day, doing things around the house that need to get done, even making some social plans because you're on it, you're moving, you're, you're, your brain is really hitting it. You wanna wait until your brain is moving into a little bit slower scenario so that exercise can actually take over and exercise will actually be even better. Now I'm not talking about waiting hours and hours, I'm just saying, that a lot of people, also visual acuity changes with time of day. So if you're a runner and you run before dawn, um, that can be pretty dangerous. Um, and if you're running right at dawn, you don't wanna roll an ankle, you don't wanna um, you know, not be able to see. Um, I used to live in Arizona and we would run through the desert and you always wanted to be very aware of desert life and you know, scorpions, rattlesnakes, things like that. You wanted to kind of have a clear vision for. So we wanted to worry about that. Also, um, you want your body to be able to warm up. Right. And so your core body temperature hits a peak right before you go to sleep and then it drops. And in about four o'clock in the morning is when you start to see a rise. By 630, your body hasn't hit its core body temperature rise high enough yet for you to not have to worry about things like injury. So if you're not a big stretcher and you don't do a, a nice warm up, you really want to wait till a little bit later in the morning to be able to exercise. Um, if you're a bear, Exercising um, in the mid-afternoon to evenings can actually be a great social experience. So during lunch, you can go for a walk because bears are the super social people anyway. And so walking and chatting with somebody can be a lot of fun or going to work out right after work can actually be good. Wolves, on the other hand, these are my night people. Um, these are people who, quite frankly, they could exercise it. 1230 at night and they'd probably be okay. Um, I'm not recommending that, but that's what a lot of them do. Um, and so you want to actually use your exercise at times that can be an advantage for you. For example, if you're trying to lose weight, one of the easiest appetite stimulants out there is exercise or rather appetite reduction techniques is exercise. So when you exercise right afterwards, how likely are you to you know, pound a cheeseburger? Probably not very likely. Um, and so being able to monitor your food intake by your exercise timing can also be a very powerful tool as well. Yes, fantastic. And then you talk in the book about talking with your children. Yes. And that's something really important because when you talk to them, you want them to actually retain Listen. it and yes. take it in and use it. So when is the best time to talk to your children? So this is interesting. So it depends on the age of the child because what's really fascinating is children of certain ages are all the same roughly chronotype. Okay. And so it's not like adults where we have these four different categories. So when you look at childhood ages, ages one to about five, oh, well, actually one to three, they're lions, right? So when you have a child that's one to three, what's going on? They're up at the crack of dawn. They're ready to go. Everything's happy and, and great. Um, if you look at kids that are like three to five or six, they're more in the bearish kind of range right? Um, they're getting up a little bit later. They're, they're kind of going up with the, they're, they've lost their morning naps. So they're kind of getting up with the sun and going down with the sun. And then when you look at teenagers, uh, middle schoolers are somewhere in between 
bears and wolves because most teenagers are wolves. So I have a 14 year old and a 12 year old and you know, it's an argument every night to get them to go to bed before 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. Um, and, and it's not their fault. It's actually their biology. There's been shown in the scientific literature that there's actually a biological shift and it actually makes their chronobiology turn them into these late night crazy animals. Um, and so then the question becomes, well, when do I talk to them? You want to talk to them when they're a little bit distracted and have a full stomach. Okay. So, and there are certain times for each one of these. So when you, and by the way, you're looking at the chronorhythm for you of when is your highest level of patience, right? And so again, a little bit of an interaction here. So if I've got a, let's say a between one and five year old, one and three year old, and, and I want to teach them something or have them do something, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait until right after they've had either a snack or their lunch, because what you get is you get a calm before the storm right? They're digesting their food. They're kind of relaxed. They've got a, some carbohydrates, which is kind of calming them down and then watch out, right? Because the energy hits and they are off and moving. And there's no way you're going to get anything, them to listen to anything at that point. Middle schoolers, you know, five years old, all the way on up to 12. Um, those kids, you're going to want to catch them right after school. So kind of between three and five, the best time, believe it or not, is when you're driving them to an activity. Face-to-face -face interaction at those ages can be somewhat intimidating and it can get a little bit more aggressive than you probably want it to be. But when you're driving and your child is in the backseat behind you and you want to bring something up, that's a great time because you're not bearing down on them. They've gotten through their day. Maybe you've even given them a snack in the car on the way to next activity. So they're, they're getting a little blood sugar, which will actually calm them down before the spike hits and you can hit them with whatever you want. With teenagers, 10 o'clock at night is one of the best times to talk to them. Uh, they're downright talkative between 10 and 11 at night. You know, they'll, you walk into their room and you're like, hey, what's going on? How was school today? Blah, 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 blah. It just goes on and on and on. And that's when you can instill different ideas like, hey, when you did this, did you really think that was the best idea? Or do you think that was really the best choice that you made here? Or what are some other choices that you think you could have made in that situation or this situation? And you will be shocked at how well they respond because they've gone through their day, they've eaten, they've probably done their homework, and now it's kind of their chill out period just before hopefully you're putting them to bed. Um, and they're much more responsive at those times. Yeah, and so is there anything else you wanna talk about in regards to your book, any kind of interesting tidbits that people can look forward to? Well, the big thing that I want people to remember is, is you don't have to change your whole world based on your chronotype. What I oftentimes tell people to do is Pick one or two things that you want to give a shot to. So figure out what your chronotype is. Check out the quiz, thepowerofwhenquiz.com, and figure out what you are. And then if you get the opportunity to purchase the book, look around and see what things might work for you. I've got sections on creativity, on fun, on health, like when should you be taking your medication. There's actually data now to show that if you take your medication at certain times of the day, it's actually more effective than other times. Um, I've got stuff on work, relationships, you name it. So um, I've even got a section on when to fight with your partner. So you might want to check that one out as well. <laughs> when to have the talk. Exactly. <laughs> so I have a question I like to ask all of my guests. Fire away. What do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? So because I'm a sleep specialist, I'm going to go with sleep um, and the lack of sleep. I think that sleep deprivation has been historically shown to affect uh, 
everything. I mean, it lowers immune function. It, as you were talking about your father, it raises cardiac uh, dysfunction. Um, it uh, all kinds, of, literally every disease out there gets worse the more sleep deprived you are. We were mentioning cancer just a second ago. Um, there's actually studies to show that the more sleep deprived you are, the faster cancer cells multiply. Um, so, you know, when you want to, if you want to think about a critical rudimentary factor for overall health, I'm going to go with sleep. Um, I would say the thing that's going to probably put the biggest, um, push against the healthcare system is probably diabetes. Um, there, there's just no doubt in my mind. And we also know, by the way, that if you're sleep deprived for more than three days in a row, your body goes into a pre-diabetic state, right? And so you can become insulin resistant just based on sleep deprivation, which is super scary. So for all those folks out there who are kind of taking sleep for granted, I would tell you that you're not doing your health any favors by doing so. Yeah. And forget that thinking, like, oh, I'm going to sleep when I, I take a dirt nap. Yeah, You've exactly. got to sleep. And that's for me, I think one of my secrets to staying youthful is I've always prioritized sleep. I don't know why. I just decided to do that at a young age and always got my seven, eight hours. And it's a big deal. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting, you know. I, by the way, just so that everybody knows, I'm a six and a half hour sleeper. I have been my entire life. People should not feel like they have to get eight. Yeah. All right. Now, I'm not telling you to sleep deprive yourself, but I'm saying figure out what works for you. If I sleep longer than six and a half to seven hours, I feel terrible. You know, I'm dragging all day long and I'm like, God, I can't feel like I can wake up yet. Um, whereas if I get my six and a half to seven, I'm full of energy, I'm ready to rock and roll. So don't feel like you have to get eight, but figure out what you need and get it consistently. Yes, very, very sage advice because, you know, when people are exhausted, you know, and they've been exhausted for a long time, you know, it's, um, you know, my question is, at what point do you seek help? Say, sure. for instance, like my father, I mean, he was probably sleep deprived for a decade at least before he finally went and got a sleep study to figure out what was going on. And it, it really did his health in. So I can tell people two easy questions that they can answer to determine if they're sleep deprived or not. So number one, do you fall asleep within five minutes of your head hitting the pillow? That's actually not a good sign. That's a sign of sleep deprivation. Sleep isn't an on off switch. It's more like slowly pulling the foot off the gas and slowly putting your foot on the brake. There's about a 15 to 20 minute process that needs to occur. So if you're falling asleep like this, that's not a good sign. That means you're probably sleep deprived. Um, number two, if you hit the snooze button more than once in the morning, you're probably sleep deprived as well. Um, if those two, if you answered yes to both of those questions, you may wanna have a discussion with your physician about how much sleep do you really need um, and, and how can you go about getting that, that level of sleep. Um, also, by the way, if your bed partner turns to you and says you snore and they've seen you stop breathing, don't walk, run to your doctor and tell them you think you may have signs of something called sleep apnea. There are some great treatments out there. People can actually, I, I have changed people's lives by treating their sleep apnea, no joke. Yeah, I know, because it's, it's sad when my father was, he was actually falling asleep at work. Yep. It gotten so, and he, he got fired. And then, mm -hmm. you know, it just everything just went downhill yeah. um, after oh, that. And it just, uh, it was so sad to to finally realize that that was the, the problem. So like you said, walk, don't uh, run, don't walk <laughs> to the, yeah, exactly. to the, get a sleep study. Um, so thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That was so interesting. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you, learn more about you, your book, et cetera. So all you got to do is, is go to my website, thepowerofwhen.com. 
Um, and I'm right there. If you can't find me there, I'm at thesleepdoctor.com. And I'd love to hear your questions. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. I'm on every social thing there is. Um, and I, I'd love it if you take the quiz and figure out what you are. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast. You can learn about me at live2110.com and, and check out my detox program at mineralpower.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast. Bye.